Section eleven of the Coquette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Coquette, or the History of Eliza Wharton, by Hannah Webster Foster. Section eleven. Letter sixty two. To Miss Julia Granby, Hartford. Dear Julia, I hope Mrs. Sumner and you will excuse my writing but one letter in answer to the number I have received from you both. Writing is an employment which suits me not at present. It was pleasing to me formerly, and therefore, by recalling the idea of circumstances and events which frequently occupied my pen in happier days, it now gives me pain. Yet I have just written a long consolatory letter to Mrs. Richmond. She has buried her babe, her little Harriet, of whom she was dotingly fond. It was a custom with some of the ancients, we are told, to weep at the birth of their children. Often should we be impelled to a compliance with this custom, could we foresee the future incidents of their lives. I think, at least, that the uncertainty of their conduct and condition in more advanced age may reconcile us to their removal to a happier state before they are capable of tasting the bitterness of woe happy the babe who privileged by fate to shorter labours and lighter weight received but yesterday the gift of breath ordered to-morrow to return to death our domestic affairs are much as when you left us nothing remarkable has occurred in the neighbourhood worth communicating the company and amusements of the town are as usual i suppose i frequent neither of them having incurred so much censure by the indulgence of a gay disposition i am now trying what a recluse and solitary mode of life will produce you will call me splenetic i own it i am pleased with nobody still less with myself I look around for happiness and find it not the world is to me a desert if i indulge myself in temporary enjoyment the consciousness or apprehension of doing amiss destroys my peace of mind and when i have recourse to books if i read those of serious descriptions they remind me of an awful futurity for which i am unprepared if history it discloses facts in which i have no interest if novels they exhibit scenes of pleasure which i have no prospect of realizing my mamma is solicitously attentive to my happiness and though she fails of promoting it yet i endeavour to save her the pangs of disappointment by appearing what she wishes i anticipate and yet i dread your return a paradox this which time alone can solve continue writing to me and entreat mrs sumner in my name to do likewise your benevolence must be your reward eliza wharton letter sixty three to miss eliza wharton boston a paradox indeed is the greater part of your letter to us my dear eliza we had fondly flattered ourselves that the melancholy of your mind was exterminated i hope no new cause has revived it little did i intend when i left you to have been absent so long but mrs sumner's disappointment in her plan of spending the summer at hartford induced me in compliance with her request to prolong my residence here but for your sake she now consents to my leaving her in hopes i may be so happy as to contribute to your amusement
I am both pleased and instructed by the conduct of this amiable woman. As I always endeavoured to imitate her discreet and modest behaviour in a single state, so likewise shall I take for her a pattern should I ever enter a married life. She is most happily united. Mr. Sumner, to all the graces and accomplishments of the gentleman, adds the still more important and essential properties of virtue, integrity, and honour. I was once present when a person was recommended to her for a husband. She objected that he was a rake. True, said the other, he has been, but he has reformed. That will never do for me, rejoined she. I wish my future companion to need no reformation. A sentiment worthy the attention of our whole sex, the general adoption of which, I am persuaded, would have a happy influence upon the manners of the other. I hope neither you nor I, Eliza, shall ever be tried by a man of debauched principles. Such characters I conceive to be totally unfit for the society of women who have any claim to virtue and delicacy. I intend to be with you in about a month. If agreeable to you, we will visit and spend a few weeks with the afflicted Mrs. Richmond. I sincerely sympathize with her under her bereavement. I know her fondness for you will render your company very consoling to her, and I flatter myself that I should not be an unwelcome guest. Make my respects to your mamma, and believe me ever yours, Julia Granby. Letter 64. To Mrs. Lucy Sumner, Hartford. Dear Madam, I have arrived in safety to the mansion of our once happy and social friends, but I cannot describe to you how changed, how greatly changed, this amiable family appears since I left it. Mrs. Wharton met me at the door, and, tenderly embracing, bade me a cordial welcome. You are come, Julia, said she, I hope to revive and comfort us. We have been very solitary during your absence. I am happy, madam, said I, to return, and my endeavours to restore cheerfulness and content shall not be wanting. But where is Eliza? By this time we had reached the back parlour, whither Mrs. Wharton led me, and, the door being open, I saw Eliza reclined on a settee, in a very thoughtful posture. When I advanced to meet her, she never moved, but sat, like patience on a monument smiling at grief. I stopped involuntarily, and involuntarily raising my eyes to heaven, exclaimed, Is that Eliza Wharton? She burst into tears, and attempted to rise, but sank again into her seat. Seeing her thus affected, I sat down by her, and throwing my arm about her neck, Why these tears? said I. Why this distress, my dear friend? Let not the return of your Julia give you pain. She comes to soothe you with the consolations of friendship. It is not pain, said she, clasping me to her breast. It is pleasure too exquisite for my weak nerves to bear. See you not, Julia, how I am altered? Should you have known me for the sprightly girl who was always welcome at the haunts of hilarity and mirth? Indeed, said I, you appear indisposed, but I will be your physician. Company and change of air will, I doubt not, restore you. Will these cure disorders of the mind, Julia? They will have a powerful tendency to remove them, if rightly applied, and I profess considerable skill in that art. Come, continued I, we will try these medicines in the morning. 
let us rise early and step into the chaise and after riding a few miles call and breakfast with mrs freeman i have some commissions from her daughter we shall be agreeably entertained there you know being summoned to supper i took her by the hand and we walked into another room where we found her brother and his wife with her mamma waiting for us we were all very chatty even eliza resumed in a degree her former sociability a settled gloom notwithstanding brooded on her countenance and a deep sigh often escaped her in spite of her evident endeavours to suppress it she went to bed before us when her mamma informed me that her health had been declining for some months that she never complained but studiously concealed every symptom of indisposition whether it were any real disorder of body or whether it arose from her depression of spirits she could not tell but supposed they operated together and mutually heightened each other i inquired after major sanford whether he and eliza had associated together during my absence sometimes she said they seemed on good terms and he frequently called to see her at others they had very little if any correspondence at all she told me that eliza never went abroad and was very loath to see company at home that her chief amusement consisted in solitary walks that the dreadful idea of her meeting major sanford in these walks had now and then intruded upon her imagination that she had not the least evidence of the fact however and indeed was afraid to make any inquiries into the matter lest her own suspicions should be discovered that the major's character was worse than ever that he was much abroad and frequently entertained large parties of worthless bacchanalians at his house the common report said he treated his wife with indifference neglect and ill-nature with many other circumstances which it is not material to relate adieu my dear friend for the present when occasion requires you shall hear again from your affectionate julia granby letter sixty five to mr charles dayton hartford good news charles good news i have arrived to the utmost bounds of my wishes the full possession of my adorable eliza i have heard a quotation from a certain book but what book it was i have forgotten if i ever knew no matter for that the quotation is that stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant if it has reference to the pleasures which i have enjoyed with eliza i like it hugely as tristram shandy's father said of yorick's sermon and I think it fully verified I Had a long and tedious siege every method which love could suggest or art invent was adopted I was sometimes ready to despair under an idea that her resolution was unconquerable her virtue impregnable Indeed I should have given over the pursuit long ago But for the hopes of success I entertained from her parleying with me and in reliance upon her own strength endeavouring to combat and counteract my designs whenever this has been the case charles i have never yet been defeated in my plan if a lady will consent to enter the lists against the antagonists of her honour she may be sure of losing the prize besides were her delicacy genuine she would banish the man at once who presumed to doubt which he certainly does who attempts to vanquish it but far be it from me to criticise the pretensions of the sex 
if i gain the rich reward of my dissimulation and gallantry that you know is all i want to return then to the point an unlucky but not a miraculous accident has taken place which must soon expose our amour what can be done at the first discovery absolute distraction seized the soul of eliza which has since terminated in a fixed melancholy her health too is much impaired she thinks herself rapidly declining and i tremble when i see her emaciated form my wife has been reduced very low of late she brought me a boy a few weeks past a dead one though these circumstances give me neither pain nor pleasure i am too much engrossed by my divinity to take an interest in anything else true i have lately suffered myself to be somewhat engaged here and there by a few jovial lads who assist me in dispelling the anxious thoughts which my perplexed situation excites i must however seek some means to relieve eliza's distress my finances are low but the last fraction shall be expended in her service if she need it julia granby is expected at mrs wharton's every hour i fear that her inquisitorial eye will soon detect our intrigue and obstruct its continuation now there's a girl charles i should never attempt to seduce yet she is a most alluring object i assure you but the dignity of her manners forbids all assaults upon her virtue why the very expression of her eye blasts in the bud every thought derogatory to her honour and tells you plainly that the first insinuation of the kind would be punished with eternal banishment and displeasure of her there is no danger but i can write no more except that i am etc peter sanford letter sixty six to mrs lucy sumner hartford oh my friend i have a tale to unfold a tale which will rend every nerve of sympathizing pity which will rack the breast of sensibility and unspeakably distress your benevolent heart eliza oh the ruined lost eliza i want words to express the emotions of indignation and grief which oppress me but i will endeavour to compose myself and relate the circumstances as they came to my knowledge after my last letter eliza remained much in the same gloomy situation as i found her she refused to go agreeably to her promise to visit your mamma and under one pretext or another has constantly declined accompanying me anywhere else since my arrival till last thursday night she slept in the same bed with me when she excused herself by saying she was restless and should disturb my repose i yielded to her humour of taking a different apartment little suspecting the real cause she frequently walked out and though i sometimes followed i very seldom found her two or three times when i happened to be awake i heard her go downstairs and on inquiry in the morning she told me that she was very thirsty and went down for water i observed a degree of hesitancy in her answers for which i could not account but last night the dreadful mystery was developed a little before day i heard the front door open with great caution i sprang from my bed and running to the window saw by the light of the moon a man going from the house soon after i perceived a footstep upon the stair which carefully approached and entered eliza's chamber judge of my astonishment my surprise my feelings upon the occasion 
I doubted not but major Sanford was the person I had seen and the discovery of Eliza's guilt in this infamous intrigue almost deprived me of thought and recollection my blood thrilled with horror at this sacrifice of virtue after a while i recovered myself and put on my clothes but what to do i knew not whether to go directly to her chamber and let her know that she was detected or to wait another opportunity i resolved on the first the day had now dawned i tapped at her door and she bade me come in she was sitting in an easy chair by the side of her bed as I entered she withdrew her handkerchief from her face and looking earnestly at me said what procures me the favor of a visit at this early hour miss granby I was disturbed said I and wish not to return to my bed But what breaks your rest and called you up so unseasonably Eliza? Remorse and despair answered she weeping after what I have witnessed this morning rejoined I I cannot wonder at it was it not major Sanford whom I saw go from the house some time ago she was silent but tears flowed abundantly it is too late continued I to deny or evade answer my question sincerely for believe me Eliza it is not malice but concern for you which prompts it I will answer you Julia said she you have discovered a secret which harrows up my very soul a secret which I wished you to know but could not exert resolution to reveal yes it was major Sanford the man who has robbed me of my peace who has triumphed in my destruction and who will cause my son to set at noon I shudder said I at your confession wretched deluded girl is this a return for your parents love and assiduous care for your friends solicitude and premonitory advice you are ruined you say you have sacrificed your virtue to an abandoned despicable profligate and you live to acknowledge and bear your infamy i do said she but not long shall i support this burden see you not julia my decaying frame my faded cheek and tottering limbs soon shall i be insensible to censure and reproach soon shall i be sequestered in that mansion where the wicked cease from troubling and where the weary are at rest rest said i can you expect to find rest either in this world or another with such a weight of guilt on your head she exclaimed with great emotion add not the upbraidings of a wounded spirit have pity upon me o oh my friend have pity upon me could you know what I suffer you would think me sufficiently punished I wish you no other punishment said I than what may affect your repentance and reformation But your mother Eliza she cannot long be ignorant of your fall and I tremble to think of her distress It will break her widowed heart How she has loved how she has doted upon you Dreadful is the requital which you have made my mother rejoined she oh name her not the very sound is distraction to me oh my julia if your heart be not shut against mercy and compassion towards me aid me through this trying scene let my situation call forth your pity and induce you undeserving as i am to exert it in my behalf during this time i had walked the chamber my spirits had been raised above their natural key and were exhausted I sat down but thought I should have fainted till a copious flood of tears gave me relief Eliza was extremely affected the appearance of calamity which she exhibited 
would have softened the most obdurate anger indeed i feared some immediate and fatal effect i therefore seated myself beside her and assuming an air of kindness compose yourself eliza said i i repeat what i told you before it is the purest friendship which thus interests me in your concerns this under the direction of charity induces me again to offer you my hand yet you have erred against knowledge and reason against warning and counsel you have forfeited the favour of your friends and reluctant will be their forgiveness i plead guilty said she to all your charges from your general voice i expect no clemency if i can make my peace with my mother it is all i seek or wish on this side of the grave in your benevolence i confide for this in you i hope to find an intercessor by the remembrance of our former affection and happiness i conjure you refuse me not at present i entreat you to conceal from her this distressing tale a short reprieve is all i ask why said i should you defer it when the painful task is over you may find relief in her lenient kindness after she knows my condition i cannot see her resumed she till i am assured of her forgiveness i have not strength to support the appearance of her anger and grief i will write to her what i cannot speak you must bear the melancholy message and plead for me that her displeasure may not follow me to the grave whither i am rapidly hastening be assured replied i that i will keep your secret as long as prudence requires but i must leave you now your mamma will wonder at our being thus closeted together when opportunity presents we will converse further on the subject in the meantime keep yourself as composed as possible if you would avoid suspicion she raised her clasped hands and with a piteous look threw her handkerchief over her face and reclined in her chair without speaking a word i returned to my chamber and endeavoured to dissipate every idea which might tend to disorder my countenance and break the silence i wished to observe relative to what had happened when i went down mrs wharton desired me to step up and inform eliza that breakfast was ready she told me she could not yet compose herself sufficiently to see her mamma and begged me to excuse her absence as i thought proper i accordingly returned to answer to mrs wharton that eliza had rested but indifferently and being somewhat indisposed would not come down but wished me to bring her a bowl of chocolate when we had breakfasted i was obliged studiously to suppress even my thoughts concerning her lest the emotions they excited might be observed mrs wharton conversed much of her daughter and expressed great concern about her health and state of mind her return to this state of dejection after having recovered her spirits and cheerfulness in a great degree was owing she feared to some cause unknown to her and she entreated me to extract the secret if possible i assured her of my best endeavours and doubted not i told her but i should be able in a few days to effect what she wished eliza came down and walked in the garden before dinner at which she commanded herself much better than i expected she said that a little ride might she imagined be of service to her and asked me if I would accompany her a few miles in the afternoon Her mamma was much pleased with the proposition and the chaise was accordingly ordered I observed to Eliza as we rode that with her natural and acquired abilities with her advantages of education 
with her opportunities of knowing the world and of tracing the virtues and vices of mankind to their origin i was surprised at her becoming the prey of an insidious libertine with whose character she was well acquainted and whose principles she was fully apprised would prompt him to deceive and betray her your surprise is very natural said she the same will doubtless be felt and expressed by every one to whom my sad story is related but the cause may be found in that unrestrained levity of disposition that fondness for dissipation and coquetry which alienated the affections of mr boyer from me this event fatally depressed and enfeebled my mind i embraced with avidity the consoling power of friendship ensnaringly offered by my seducer vainly inferring from his marriage with a virtuous woman that he had seen the error of his ways and forsaken his licentious practices as he affirmed and i fool that i was believed it it is needless for me to rehearse the perfidious arts by which he insinuated himself into my affections and gained my confidence suffice it to say he effected his purpose but not long did i continue in the delusive dream of sensual gratification i soon awoke to a most poignant sense of his baseness and of my own crime and misery i would have fled from him i would have renounced him for ever and by a life of sincere humility and repentance endeavoured to make my peace with heaven and to obliterate by the rectitude of my future conduct the guilt i had incurred but i found it too late my circumstances called for attention and i had no one to participate my cares to witness my distress and to alleviate my sorrows but him i could not therefore prevail on myself wholly to renounce his society at times i have admitted his visits always meeting him in the garden or grove adjoining till of late the weather and my ill health induced me to comply with his solicitations and receive him into the parlour not long however shall i be subject to these embarrassments grief has undermined my constitution my health has fallen a sacrifice to a disordered mind but i regret not its departure i have not a single wish to live nothing which the world affords can restore my former serenity and happiness the little innocent i bear will quickly disclose its mother's shame god almighty grant it may not live as a monument of my guilt and a partaker of the infamy and sorrow which is all i have to bequeath it should it be continued in life it will never know the tenderness of a parent and perhaps want and disgrace may be its wretched portion the greatest consolation i can have will be to carry it with me to a state of eternal rest which vile as i am i hope to obtain through the infinite mercy of heaven as revealed in the gospel of christ i must see major sanford again it is necessary to converse further with him in order to carry my plan of operation into execution what is this plan of operation eliza said i i am on the rack of anxiety for your safety be patient continued she and you shall soon be informed to-morrow i shall write my dreadful story to my mother she will be acquainted with my future intentions and you shall know at the same time the destination of your lost friend i hope said i that you have formed no resolution against your own life god forbid rejoined she my breath is in his hands let him do what seemeth good in his sight keep my secret one day longer and i will never more impose so painful a silence upon you 
by this time we had reached home she drank tea with composure and soon retired to rest mrs wharton eagerly inquired whether i had found out the cause of eliza's melancholy i have urged her said i on the subject but she alleges that she has particular reasons for present concealment she has notwithstanding promised to let me know the day after tomorrow oh said she i shall not rest till the period arrives dear good woman said i to myself i fear you will never rest afterwards this is our present situation think what a scene rises to the view of your julia she must share the distress of others though her feelings on this unhappy occasion are too keen to admit a moment's serenity my greatest relief is in writing to you which i shall do again by the next post in the meantime i must beg leave to subscribe myself sincerely yours julia granby end of section eleven